section 9 of the rainbow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bryce, Youngstown. The Rainbow by D. H. Lawrence, Chapter 3, Part 2. The evening came on. He played with Anna and then sat alone with his own wife. She was sewing. He sat very still, smoking, perturbed. He was aware of his wife's quiet figure and quiet dark head bent over her needle. It was too quiet for him. It was too peaceful. He wanted to smash the walls down and let the night in so that his wife should not be so secure and quiet sitting there. He wished the air were not so close and narrow. His wife was obliterated from him. She was in her own world, quiet, secure, unnoticed, unnoticing. He was shut down by her. He rose to go out. He could not sit still any longer. He must get out of this oppressive, shut-down woman haunt. His wife lifted her head and looked at him. Are you going out, she asked. He looked down and met her eyes. They were darker than darkness and gave deeper space. He felt himself retreating before her, defensive, whilst her eyes followed and tracked him on. Oh, just going up to Cossethay, he said. She remained watching him. Why do you go, she said. His heart beat fast, and he sat down slowly. No reason particular, he said, beginning to fill his pipe again, mechanically. Why do you go away so often, she said. But you don't want me, he replied. She was silent for a while. You do not want to be with me any more, she said. It startled him. How did she know this truth? He thought it was his secret. Ye, he said. You want to find something else, she said. He did not answer. Did he? he asked himself. You should not want so much attention, she said. You are not a baby. I'm not grumbling, he said, yet he knew he was. You think you have not enough, she said. How enough? You think you have not enough in me, but how do you know me? What do you do to make me love you? He was flabbergasted. I never said I hadn't enough in you, he replied. I didn't know you wanted making to love me. What do you want? You don't make it good between us any more. You are not interested. You do not make me want you. And you don't make me want you, do you now? There was a silence. They were such strangers. Would you like to have another woman, she asked. His eyes grew round. He did not know where he was. How could she, his own wife, say such a thing? But she sat there, small and foreign and separate. It dawned upon him she did not consider herself his wife, except in so far as they agreed. She did not feel she had married him. At any rate, she was willing to allow he might want another woman. A gap, a space opened before him. No, he said slowly, what other woman should I want? Like your brother, she said. He was silent for some time, ashamed also. What of her, he said. I didn't like the woman. Yes, you liked her, she said persistently. He stared in wonder at his own wife as she told him his own heart so callously. And he was indignant. What right had she to sit there telling him these things? She was his wife. What right had she to speak to him like this, as if she were a stranger? I didn't, he said. I want no woman. Yes, you would like to be like Alfred. 
His silence was one of angry frustration. He was astonished. He had told her of his visit to Worksworth, but briefly, without interest, he thought. As she sat with her strange dark face turned towards him, her eyes watched him, inscrutable, casting him up. He began to oppose her. She was again the active unknown facing him. Must he admit her? He resisted involuntarily. Why should you want to find a woman who is more to you than me, she said. The turbulence raged in his breast. I don't, he said. Why do you, she repeated. Why do you want to deny me? Suddenly, in a flash, he saw she might be lonely, isolated, unsure. She had seemed to him the utterly certain, satisfied, absolute, excluding him. Could she need anything? Why aren't you satisfied with me? I'm not satisfied with you. Paul used to come to me and take me like a man does. You only leave me alone or take me like your cattle, quickly, to forget me again, so that you can't forget me again. What am I to remember about you, said Brangwen. I want you to know there is somebody there besides yourself. Well, don't I know it? You come to me as if it was for nothing, as if I was nothing there. When Paul came to me, I was something to him, a woman I was. To you I am nothing. It is like cattle, or nothing. You make me feel as if I was nothing, he said. They were silent. She sat watching him. He could not move. His soul was seething and chaotic. She turned to her sewing again, but the sight of her bent before him held him and would not let him be. She was a strange, hostile, dominant thing, yet not quite hostile. As he sat, he felt his limbs were strong and hard. He sat in strength. She was silent for a long time, stitching. He was aware, poignantly, of the round shape of her head, very intimate, compelling. She lifted her head and sighed. The blood burned in him. Her voice ran to him like fire. Come here, she said, unsure. For some moments he did not move. Then he rose slowly and went across the hearth. It required an almost deathly effort of volition or of acquiescence. He stood before her and looked down at her. Her face was shining again. Her eyes were shining again like terrible laughter. It was to him terrible how she could be transfigured. He could not look at her. It burnt his heart. My love, she said, and she put her arms round him as he stood before her, round his thighs, pressing him against her breast, and her hands on him seemed to reveal to him the mold of his own nakedness. He was passionately lovely to himself. He could not bear to look at her. My dear, she said. He knew she spoke a foreign language. The fear was like bliss in his heart. He looked down. Her face was shining. Her eyes were full of light. She was awful. He suffered from the compulsion to her. She was the awful unknown. He bent down to her, suffering, unable to let go, unable to let himself go, yet drawn, driven. She was now the transfigured. She was wonderful beyond him. He wanted to go, but he could not as yet kiss her. He was himself apart easiest he could kiss her feet but he was too ashamed for the actual deed which were like an affront she waited for him to meet her not to bow before her and serve her she wanted his active participation not his submission she put her fingers on him and it was torture to him that he must give himself to her actively participate in her that he must meet and embrace and know her 
who was other than himself. There was that in him which shrank from yielding to her, resisting the relaxing towards her, opposing the mingling with her, even while he most desired it. He was afraid he wanted to save himself. There were a few moments of stillness. Then gradually the tension, the withholding, relaxed in him, and he began to flow towards her. She was beyond him, the unattainable. But he let go his hold on himself, he relinquished himself, and knew the subterranean force of his desire to come to her, to be with her, to mingle with her, losing himself to find her, to find himself in her. He began to approach her, to draw near. His blood beat up in waves of desire. He wanted to come to her, to meet her. She was there if he could reach her. The reality of her, who was just beyond him, absorbed him. Blind and destroyed, he pressed forward, nearer, nearer, to receive the consummation of himself. He received within the darkness which should swallow him and yield up to himself. If he could come really within the blazing kernel of darkness, if really he could be destroyed, burnt away till he lit with her in one consummation, that were supreme, supreme. Their coming together now, after two years of married life, was much more wonderful to them than it had been before. It was the entry into another circle of existence. It was the baptism to another life. It was a complete confirmation. Their feet trod strange ground of knowledge. Their footsteps were lit up with discovery. Wherever they walked, it was well. The world re-echoed round them in discovery. They went gladly and forgetful. Everything was lost and everything was found. The new world was discovered. It remained only to be explored. They had passed through the doorway into the further space, where movement was so big that it contained bonds and constraints and labors, and still was complete liberty. She was a doorway to him, he to her. At last they had thrown open the doors, each to the other, and had stood in the doorways facing each other, whilst the light flooded out from behind onto each of their faces. It was a transfiguration, glorification, the admission. And always the light of the transfiguration burned on in their hearts. He went his way as before, she went her way. To the rest of the world there seemed no change. But to the two of them there was the perpetual wonder of the transfiguration. He did not know her any better, any more precisely now than he knew her altogether. Poland, her husband, the war, he understood no more of this in her. He did not understand her foreign nature half German, half Polish, nor her foreign speech. But he knew her, he knew her meaning without understanding. What she said, what she spoke, this was a blind gesture on her part. In herself she walked strong and clear. He knew her, he saluted her, was with her. What was memory, after all, but the recording of a number of possibilities which had never been fulfilled? What was Paul Lenski to her but an unfulfilled possibility to which he, Brangwen, was the reality and the fulfillment? What did it matter that Anna Lenski was born of Lydia and Paul? God was her father and her mother. He had passed through the married pair without fully making himself known to them. Now he was declared to Brangwen and to Lydia Brangwen as they stood together. When at last they had joined hands, the house was finished, and the Lord took up his abode, and they were glad. The days went on as before. Brangwen went out to his work. His wife nursed her child and attended in some measure to the farm.
They did not think of each other. Why should they? Only when she touched him, he knew her instantly, that she was with him, near him, that she was the gateway and the way out, that she was beyond, and that he was traveling in her through the beyond. Whither? What does it matter? He responded always. When she called, he answered. When he asked, her response came at once or at length. Anna's soul was put at peace between them. She looked from one to the other, and she saw them established to her safety, and she was free. She played between the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud in confidence, having the assurance on her right hand and the assurance on her left. She was no longer called upon to uphold with her childish might the broken end of the arch. Her father and her mother now met to the span of the heavens, and she, the child, was free to play in the space beneath between. End of section 9. Recording by Bryce, Youngstown.